Last week we, we talked about reorienting time. Um, not just time like on the watch, but opportunities. We, we talked about it in the context of the ability to better invest, more effectively maybe invest in the kingdom of God. It wasn't a push to sign people up for jobs. It wasn't a uh, simple focus on better time management. It wasn't somehow calling on people to pray for the miraculous lengthening of days. Um, though sometimes we would all like that, right? An extra 15, 20 minutes, three hours in a day to finish whatever we need to finish. But it was about buying back, buying up, redeeming opportunities in order to take things that are meaningless, things that are purposeless, Things that are just idle, not as in something you bow down to, but just nothing going on. And reorient them to our mandate, proclaiming the kingdom of God. To make known the good news of the good king who desires to bring those he created and he loves back into his kingdom. I ask you to investigate before the Lord this week, is there time that you have that needs to be redeemed for that purpose? Things in which you're currently invested that need to change to engage you personally in things that are more eternally focused. Multiple conversations this week kind of allowed me to know that there was some resonating going on. And I'm really glad that that is taking place. This morning we're going to look at reorienting our strength, our, our energy, in order to better invest in the kingdom of God. It would, it would be really easy to come to this topic and, and go through scripture looking at all of the people who gave all of their strength, all of their energy, all of, of what their lives were for the purposes of God. And we would all walk out kind of with our heads down because we're just not like them, right? I mean, all of those great people of faith that, that gave and gave and gave and gave. It would also be easy to bring a list of missionaries and their stories or evangelists, great evangelists and their stories or, or great teachers or even in the secular world, great business people who are followers of Jesus. We could bring people young and old who have given their strength and their energy for the purposes of proclaiming the kingdom of God. But just as investing time Opportunity that has been allotted us is about taking care and being wise. In investing strength, investing energy that has been allotted us is also about taking care and being wise. So this is going to be a little bit of a twist maybe than what you may even be thinking right now. You remember several years ago, we went through the Psalms of Ascent. How many of you remember that study that we went through? Oh, great. There were 12 people awake. All right, good. 12 people were listening. No, I, I know. Those were, those, were, those were some great uh, great moments to walk through those, those Psalms that were used later on by the children of God as they would journey toward Jerusalem and toward the temple to worship him. One of those psalms, Psalm 127, is actually written by Solomon. So you know these were a collection, right? This was written by Solomon. And it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. 
The statement here begins pretty straightforward, and it's designed to remind the people of their utter dependence on God for every undertaking of life. Now, though the word being used for house here can refer to an ordinary dwelling, it can also refer to a temple, the temple, or, or even a family, it, it wouldn't have escaped the, the hearers or those who were reciting it, knowing that Solomon was the one who wrote it, that he had been put in charge of a pretty big construction project. He, he would have had in that project, as they would know, the, the most skilled individuals, the, the strongest workers, the, the most committed craftsmen. And yet, no matter what their skill, how great their strength, how committed they were to the task, how hard they worked, it was all in vain unless God is the one making their efforts matter. Their life, their health, their strength, their knowledge, their wisdom, their gifts, their talents, all at His generosity as a result, entirely dependent on Him. The same idea of dependence is reinforced in the, in the second verse, the preservation of a city. No matter what length they might go to in order to care or protect, no matter how capable the guard or how committed the watchman, if, if there is to be true safety in this city, it would depend on God alone. Because what watchman can prevent a storm what watchman can prevent a famine? What guard can stop an infestation that tears up all the, the food? What about fire? What about flood? No matter how many safeguards are put in place, preservation and safety depend completely on God. Then Solomon makes it clear that getting up early, going to bed late, and working harder and harder, though not wrong, not without benefit, not unlikely to bring success. A person would still be dependent on God for everything comes from his hand. And without his blessing, without his favor, what could they really hope to accomplish? Can, can these things, getting up early, going to bed late, working harder and harder, can these things guarantee health, guarantee strength, guarantee a capable mind? Can these things prevent frustration or anxiety or difficulty that debilitates an individual, makes them able to do nothing? So the fact remains, people must depend on God for any success. That's what's driving this. And, and it's, it's easy for him for God himself, for, for even when there is no effort being made, according to this psalm, no effort being made, God gives and God provides. In a world where everything is so difficult, freedom from worry, success in, in what you put your hand to, rest that renews all found in him. The word translated in vain here means emptiness, uselessness, worthlessness, without result. It almost kind of sounds like what we talked about last week a little bit when we said worthlessness, purposelessness, idleness. What a waste it would be to labor in vain, to wake up early in vain. To stay up really, really late, in vain. To work your fingers to the bone, in vain. Especially knowing there's another way, right? So, so why, might, why might someone pursue that course of action, the getting up early, the, the working harder and harder and harder and the staying up late and all of those things. Again, it, it's not saying those things are bad. It, it's not saying those things can't even be effective. 
It's just saying there's, a, there's another way for the things that are done, the strength that is exerted to matter and matter most. So, so why, why would someone pursue that course of action? I'm sure there's a lot of answers to that question, but it seems to me that, that some of the reasons might be because the person themselves is very capable, right? Because they're very capable, then they get up early and they work really, really hard and they stay up really, really late because they are so capable. They have great capacity and ability. Maybe it's because a person is very gifted and, and, and they can do what other people can't do with their hands or, or with their minds. Maybe it's because a person is just very strong. They have lots and lots of stamina. Maybe it's because they're just really, really smart. Or, or maybe it's simply because a person has had success in the life that they are living doing it that way before. Whatever the reason, it's very easy to find yourself relying in and on your own ability. As opposed to relying on God. And that's why we're talking about this today. More than simply taking the strength we have and doing more for God. Right? It's why we set a foundation in week one that his kingdom does not need to be built. It does not need to be advanced or helped in order to come into being. His kingdom is. It's why we set a foundation in week one that that we, we simply have the mandate to declare what is true and to make the good news known. And yet... We have all these abilities, these talents, these strengths, this, this knowledge, this life, this health, and, and, we, and we use it for the glory of God, right? So, so we, we, better, we better get to work. We better, we... Maybe not so fast. Maybe not so fast. What if I were to tell you that there is a principle that is really vital that we must learn before we use our strength? Our energy. And, and, and that by learning this principle, we, we could be more effective for kingdom purposes to the glory of God. What if, what if I were to tell you that, that much of what is done for the kingdom and even for the purposes of glorifying God is not done using this principle and is much like what Solomon said about building a house or trying to protect a city? I'm not, I'm not trying to be clever here, but I believe God desires us to be used for his kingdom's purposes, for his kingdom's glory, and, and yet we can easily find ourselves doing stuff, saying it's for that purpose without dependence on him. So for our purposes today, I want us to look at this principle a little bit and discover maybe, a, not, not maybe, but a greater way to invest our strength. And as we do, to look at what it means to reorient. We're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul for just a minute. We're going to do so from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is kind of the meat of where we're going to be today. Verse 9 says, and, and, he is, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, to take a scripture like that and to simply isolate it, to, to simply make it say whatever we want it to say in a moment of time is to do harm to the word of God. It has been done over and over and over. 
So to be sure, there's, there's a lot more context to this statement that Paul is making. There is a buildup to it. There's, there's something that even goes beyond it. And I would love to walk through four chapters this morning of, of that leading up and that following behind, but time doesn't permit us to do that. So I want to just add a little bit of context and beginning chapter 10. Paul is describing himself to these believers in Corinth, though by now he is well known to them in so many ways. The purpose of that is to offer some clarity because he's dealing with opponents, false teachers who have set about not just to sour Paul's relationships, but to quite literally sidetrack or even maybe destroy the work that he would do. So in chapter 10, he says, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. That was a a condemnation of these, these people that were opposing him. Oh, yeah, sure, when he's with us face to face, he's really mild and meek. But when he's absent, then he says all this strong stuff, right? I ask that when I'm present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Are we blowing up buildings? No. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ... And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your disobedience, whenever your obedience is complete. So what Paul does here is he makes it clear that just because I'm gentle, just because there is a meekness there, just because there's compassion that's shown does not mean that I'm not bold. It does not mean that I'm not courageous to do what I have been called to do by God. He also makes it clear where this comes from in him is not his own strength. It doesn't come from his flesh. It doesn't come from his own ability. It doesn't come from his own knowledge. It doesn't come from his own skill. It comes from his ongoing life in Jesus. In chapter 11, Paul has uh, to in some way defend the fact that he's an apostle of the Lord, again, because of what He's dealing with with those who are trying to shipwreck the faith of some of these people and and to to get these believers off track to maybe even uh, allow them to to think in a way that they would be deceived. Second Corinthians 11. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now there's, there's some wordplay going on. There's a little tongue-in-cheek stuff going on there. But it's incredibly serious because what's in question is the very relationship that these people have with Jesus and will have with Jesus. Paul is concerned that they have been led astray or are in the process of being led astray, that, that what they've been told was different in, in, in being called even a gospel of some sorts. And 
And it was really no gospel at all because it wasn't the gospel of Jesus. So in a word, this situation has become a mess. What was the remedy? What was the remedy? Would they listen? And if they listen, what would they hear? Would they believe? And if they would believe, who would they believe? In the middle of all of this, in chapter 12, Paul talks about what God did for him and in him in Jesus in order to use him. To do so, he kind of goes to a place that he would rather not go. In fact, he, he on multiple occasions, kind of apologizes because he doesn't want to do these things. He's very reluctant to do these things. To talk about this direct encounter that he had with Jesus, this experience that he had, this, this vision that was given to him. So he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 1, boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. Now, Paul is giving a pretty incredible account here of what is going on and has gone on in his life. He has experienced things that for sure the, the, the people that are standing there would be going, whoa, whoa, I've never experienced that. I've never had that take place. There's a lot of imagery here. There's, there's a, a lot of, of explanation that is really incredible. And he goes on, he says, For I do wish to boast. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish. For I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this. So that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. It's an experience for sure that, that the people listening would have a difficult time maybe even comprehending what was going on. And, and Paul didn't say these things in order that he might be placed on some pedestal and then worshipped as a god. For Paul, it changed everything. This vision and all that God did to reveal himself to him, it was incredibly purposeful. And because God had such great purpose and design in what he had done in Paul and what he wanted to do through Paul, there was something that had to take place there. Because the minute somebody gets something special, something that somebody else might not have, Something that somebody else may never be able to experience. The first thing that begins in that person is a puffing up. God had purpose. He had design. There, there would be a safeguard established. So Paul would never be able to escape the reality that anything done of eternal consequences... Any, anything of eternal value, anything that mattered to the kingdom of God, it would not be done through him and his own strength. This is how he captured the reality of this, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. You notice he said that twice? He said, to keep me from exalting myself, give me a thorn in the flesh. And, and then he said, as messenger of Satan to torment, to keep me from exalting myself. 
I don't know about you, but I have struggled with pride in my life. I have struggled with wanting to be something, somebody. Now, I, I didn't have a messenger sent from Satan to help me with that. Um, the Holy Spirit, and often through my wife, right? I mean, you, you understand. There, there, there's, a, there's a part that, that goes into this. But as Paul is dealing with this, and, and whatever, whatever these things are, he says, concerning this, I, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. It was a pretty heavy burden. It was a pretty big... You know, when we think of thorn, we kind of think of those little things that are on roses, you know, that we... Oh, wow, that really hurt. Oh, look, there's a drop of blood there. This thorn, it could be a thorn similar to that, but more often it's used for something much larger. It could even be used for a hook. It could be used for a stake, right? Like drive the stake right through the heart kind of thing. I prayed that it might leave me. I implored the Lord. And this is what he said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I will rather boast about my weaknesses. I have this story of how incredible God was to bring me right into this place where I experienced directly some things that I I don't know that anybody else has ever experienced in this same way. I'm reluctant to boast in those things. But I will gladly rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Again, there's a lot here, and I know I'm I'm skimming the surface. The the revelation, the thorn, the messenger of Satan, pride, a a, a prayer three times in a row, and the answer was no, no, no. Have you ever prayed three times in a row like that and had the Lord say no, no, no? How do you walk away from that? It's hard. So this is not something easy that Paul is dealing with here. The sufficiency of God's grace. How long could we stay on that? But I want to focus our remaining time this morning on what I mentioned earlier. This principle that must be learned if we're going to most effectively invest our abilities, talents, skills, knowledge, life, health, strength for the purpose of the kingdom. And the reason is because it's not intuitive. It's not intuitive. As we were in our prayer time this morning, there were were many good things that were being said, spoken to the Father. There were were many good things that were agreeing with the Scripture. And as I was sitting there listening, I I was reminded of our culture and how we live in a culture that that tells us, don't ever admit your weakness. Even if your weakness is in, in plumbing, you can go to a website called DIY. We've given it a title. Do it yourself. You can do How many people know people that have tried to DIY their plumbing before? They don't ever admit that they did it wrong. They just call the plumber under the radar and the plumber comes in. They pay $300 for something that probably would have cost only 50 if they had done it the first time. But, but they don't want anybody to know that they had a lack. Right? It is not intuitive. It, it, it's not celebrated in the modern church. How many bumper stickers do you ever see that say, I'm weak, come to my church, or whatever, right? I mean, faith church, we're all weak, right? You don't don't see that. You don't see the marquees or the rolling signs that say, that's not the modern church. 
In fact, in a lot of the modern church, you walk up and down aisles and the people just say, fine, good, all is well. It doesn't rally thousands of people to a stadium. Come to this miracle-working crusade where you will learn to be weak. Right? That doesn't play out on the marquee. Doesn't provide for inspirational radio. Right? I mean, can you, I won't say the station, but can you imagine a particular station that is in this area that plays positive messages all the time, starting to talk about weaknesses? I think the listenership might change. Bumper stickers might even be different. But it's vital. It's vital to get. It's vital to engage. And what is it? Weakness. Specifically, weakness that brings about the perfecting. Perfecting here is to accomplish, to complete, to bring about a desired goal or end. Weakness that brings about the perfecting of the power of Jesus Christ. Power here means capable, ability to achieve. So to be clear, those things that brought about weakness in the Apostle Paul were designed specifically to bring about and accomplishing a a completion, a destined goal that God had for him. For the work that he would do. For his part in the kingdom. In order to give Paul a capability, an ability to achieve God's desired end. Now, there are a lot of people that will debate exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And the meaning of the term messenger from Satan. And we could do that. But if you want to, we'll do it at another time. Because I just want us to look at what Paul plainly says about weaknesses and draw some things out of that. Paul uses the term weakness or weaknesses three times in this short section. The first time is when he quotes Jesus saying to him, My power is perfected in weakness. The second is when Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Then the third is when Paul says, Therefore, I am content with weaknesses. The last one we haven't read yet because it's found in verse 10. And here's what it says. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. With insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that we can really get the picture of what Paul is saying in this verse. It's important to know that this word translated content means not, not simply to be uh, well-pleased, right? But to actually think it good. Now, I don't know that most people that I deal with on a daily basis have any clue when they say, I'm, I'm content with that. I, I'm, I'm content in this situation. Because it actually means not just well-pleased, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this situation. It actually goes one step farther in the meaning, and that is to actually think it good. Now that's a difference. I can bear up under a lot of things, and I can be content while going like this. Right? 
But to actually think that while I'm doing this and while all these things are going on and I'm supposed to be well pleased with all of this, that I actually cross the line and say, no, 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 it's good. It's good. It stresses the the willingness, the, the intention to resolve yourself to regarding it as good. Paul was content with weaknesses. He wasn't just saying, I'm okay to be in this weakness for a little while because I know that God's going to bring me up, right? That's how we often view contentment. I'm content with weaknesses. I see it as good. What were those weaknesses? Insults, first one. Hurtful acts, slander meant to injure. For Paul, it included the way these people were misrepresenting him, his preaching, his teaching, his intentions, his authority, and even him as a person. This wasn't just something like your your mother dresses you funny, right? It wasn't that kind of thing. This was personal. It was meant to injure. It was meant to bring about calamity. Distresses or hardships, depending on your version. Circumstances that are forced on you, resulting from nothing that you've done. For Paul, he had a long list of those things that he suffered at the hands of his enemies. Right? I've been in trouble from these people and also from the people that were his own countrymen, his friends. Persecution, wounds, abuses, painful circumstances that, that pursue you, that, that do not let up. Relentless, over and over and over and over and over. Not like, yeah, I set my Bible on my desk the other day and somebody said, what's that? Right? I mean, it's not the same as what persecutions really are. The last one was difficulties, calamities. The idea is one of pressure, closing in, crushing, being weighed down, circumstances that tend to overcome you with stress or tension. And Paul is saying, I am content with weaknesses like insults and distresses, hardships, persecution, difficulties, calamities. Not only am I content, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this because I see them as good. Counterintuitive. And, and what, what made them weaknesses? Because Paul had a lot of strength. I mean, you, you cannot read about the Apostle Paul and all that he did and all that he went through and not believe that this was a pretty strong man. Now, I don't know how tall he was. I don't know how physically fit he was. But I know that he was a strong man. He traveled. He walked. He did all that. So, yeah. Great strength. Great ability. He talks just a little bit about himself and how much ability he really had, how much he knew, how intellectual he was. He could have responded to these things, right? I mean, let's think about it for a minute. What what would it look like? What does it look like to, to walk through those things in your own strength? When we have great strength, we can absorb insults. And, and often we can in, absorb those insults. And because we are strong mentally, because we're strong emotionally, we can even return those with something even better. And I'm not talking about your mom addresses you funny and you say, oh yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that, that you could receive something meant to be injurious, something meant to, to, to drive a stake right into you and return something equally as good or even better to that individual. Putting that person in their place. And we would be seen as victorious by the crowd gathered around. 
When we have great strength, we, we tough out hardships. We, we change our circumstances. I, I am not content for this to be difficult, so I'm going to change my circumstances. We, we take charge and, and force a positive outcome. Why? Because we're strong. We have the wherewithal to do that. We can be known by those for whom uncomfortable things just can't touch. Right? I am John Wayne. I am whatever Marvel character you might want to see. I am the strongest Star Wars, whatever, right? When we have great strength, we fight persecution by sometimes turning it around. Fighting so fast, fighting so furious for our own right to to not be treated unfairly, right? You think about that. People say something about you and about your faith and all of that stuff, and you immediately go into lock and load and (laughs) mode, right? They're not going to talk about me like that. They're not going to talk about my faith like that. They're not going to talk about my Jesus like, right? I mean, we, yeah. And we become known as the person you just don't want to mess with. We can handle persecution. We have great strength. We use our resources, our influence, skill to get out of what otherwise might be difficulties or calamity. And so then we're known as resourceful, seen for our skill, seen for our mastery of our own destiny. In those things... Who's seen again? Who's applauded? Who receives the credit? In many cases, it's, it's not the issue that you can't act, right? You, you can't do. You can't defend. You, you can't triumph over whatever is going on. It's not that you don't have the strength to do something. You choose a better way. Peter hits on this in in a little bit of a different way in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. and, And kind of illustrates that different way. He says in verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth and while being reviled injuriously insulted and just He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Why was in that moment of time That weakness, right, of what, what we would look at as weakness. Why, why was it? Because hanging on the cross, could Jesus have taken himself off? Scripture is pretty clear that there was a, an opportunity, a way for that to be done. So why, why that weakness displayed? I believe because empty of what the flesh can do, you see God doing what only He can do. And isn't that where we want to be? Seeing only what God can do. How, how many times have you used all your strength, even, even for the purposes of God, and, and it was only when all your strength was gone 
that's something of eternal value truly happened. I've used this illustration before, but most of you know the shoulder surgery I had, um, I don't know, 2011 time frame. But I was talking with somebody just a week or so ago that was having the same problems and I was talking to them about the pain and I was talking to them about what I went through and had the first procedure and healed up a little bit and then they tried to break it loose and it wouldn't break loose so I had to have a second procedure and then I spent nine months in physical therapy as you guys know. It was hard. And I was joking with them because it was really, it was really, really difficult when I went to the physical therapy because I've always been able, I've always been strong and it was really difficult when this girl, that girl, lady, physical terrorist, that was about this tall, handed me a purple weight. Right? And I'm in a gym situation. I'm over on the therapy side, but I'm in a gym and I'm watching this guy go. And she hands me a purple weight. And we had already kind of gotten to be, you know, able to talk and joke around a little bit. And she says, now, when you are able to do this one X number of times, I'll give you this one. And she shows me the pink weight. Now, ladies, you might think that's funny. I don't think there's a guy in here that thinks that's funny at all. But the Lord used that moment of time in my life to put me flat on my face, flip me over, and have me only able to look at him. And in that time, he did some things in me of eternal value. I can lift weights again. I can work out in my yard now. I can do all of those things again. But now, I try to use the strength a little bit differently in some of those areas that I need to be weak in. See, it's not about not having the ability, right? It's about choosing to invest that ability in something else. So as, as I started thinking about this, and I started thinking about it from the, the, from the point of the Apostle Paul and, and, and dealing with it in that way, it wasn't that Paul didn't have the ability to return those insults. He probably could have ripped them to shreds. He was a brainiac in everything that they were talking about. It wasn't that he couldn't have found a way out of some of those difficult circumstances. He wasn't a complete idiot. He wasn't resourceless, right? But he knew that God had placed him in those moments of time very purposefully so that he would not look to himself, he would look to God. And that the things that were done could only be given as credit to who God is. Wasn't quite sure how I was going to close this out. In fact, I wrestled with this even a little bit last night. But this statement kept, kept coming to me over and over and over through the course of this week. Because I kept asking the question, then, then what is the best way to invest your strength, the stuff you know that you have, right? What is the best way to invest your strength in the kingdom of God? And this was the statement. Invest your strength in those things that took Jesus to the cross. Invest your strength in those things that took Jesus through the cross. And, and there were four things that came out of that. One was humility. If you've got strength, invest it in being humble before men and before God. If you have strength, invest it in obedience. Philippians 2, the example of Jesus. He humbled himself, becoming obedient. To death on a cross. The second thing that came out of that was Ephesians 5. If you have strength, invest that strength in love. 
Not unconditional. That's, that's easy because we all can love unconditionally because we put our conditions on it, right? The scripture says perfectly. Invest your strength in loving perfectly. Invest your strength in selflessness. He loved us. He loved us perfectly. Ephesians 5. He loved us perfectly. And he gave himself for us. And the last one would be this. Invest your strength in that which brings glory to God alone. Romans 16 ends this way. To the only wise God be glory forever. Why? Why, why do this? Why, why invest in this way? Because when you do, you become dependent on Him to do what matters for eternity. You, you experience the power that defeated sin. Because that is what he said, right? That the, the power will be perfected in weakness. Well, what does that look like? Well, it's the power that defeated sin because it was Jesus and his work on the cross. It was Christ to whom Paul was referring. You experience the power that defeated death. You experience the power that defeated the grave. You, you experience the power that rose victorious. We sing it. You experience the power manifested in your life. And it's work you cannot take credit for. We have in the modern church era, I believe, tried to build a church Build eternal things in human strength. I really do. The, the question I have is, in that, in that doing, have we made weakness our enemy? When we really need to make weakness our friend. I believe this is why it's important for us to seek God in prayer. To talk to Him. To open ourselves to what He desires. To, to look at where He might be working and, and then join Him there. We can put together a lot of programs. We're talking right now about what are we doing in, in biblical education for this body of believers. How we're going to proceed. We're talking about life groups. We're talking about uh, evangelism opportunities and all of those things. And what I keep saying to the people that I'm talking to is we have to pray. Because we can put together a lot of programs. We can get people to come to things. We can help a lot of people and even be known as a source of good in the community. And I'm not saying these things are bad. But what will operating in our strength and not in his power achieve? Who will be saved? Who will be set free? Who will be transformed? I, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm tired of being boxed into that environment. I'm, I'm tired of doing and seeing what people, even what I, can do in my own strength. Somewhere along the line, it kind of becomes the norm. And, and the power of God is actually relinquished to special occasions. Special services. Special revivals. I don't believe it has to be that way. I believe that we can invest our strength in things that bring us to weakness. You might experience insults. You might. And you may have to draw down on your own ability to fight that in order to be weak so that God can.
You might experience hardships and calamities and all. You might. You might. But I will tell you the thing that I've realized that draws down my strength, what I can do more than anything, is doing the stuff that sent Jesus to the cross. Humility, obedience, love, selflessness to the glory of God. Having to rely on him to perfect, to accomplish with his power the things that only he can achieve. So I want to ask you, parents, I want to ask you, husband, I want to ask you, wife, I want to ask you, children, I want to ask you, teachers, I want to ask you, ministry leaders, I I want to ask you, people doing good in the community, I want to ask you, people that are reaching out to others, I I want to ask you, are you doing it in weakness? Are you doing it in weakness? Or are you doing it in your own strength? Some good may come of your own strength. I don't believe anything eternal. Invest in the things that bring our strength to where we just don't have anymore. Or maybe we don't even want to exert it. So that the power of Jesus might be known and seen and experienced in all that we do. I read this quote. God's purposes in our weaknesses is to glorify the grace and power of his son. God's design is to make you a showcase for Jesus' power, not by getting rid of all of Our weaknesses, but by giving strength to endure while he does what only he can do. Where yet? Where yet? How are you going to invest your strength this week in the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for our time together. I know that as we explore these these topics, Lord, we have looked at your kingdom and its purposes and how it is and what it is. And we have looked at time and opportunity, not only how we view it, but how it could be used how it would be used if we were to redeem it. And now we've looked at strength. I don't think there's a person in this room that wants to be known as a weakling, that wants to be seen in that capacity. And yet, Lord, there is a principle that our strength cannot accomplish what your power does. And so to use us greatly, Lord, as one has said, you must wound us deeply. Maybe that wound is just eliminating our ability, eliminating our desire to use our own strength. Lord, would you you cause us to be weak, so that your power may be displayed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I will tell you now that I had like, I don't know, nine or ten pages of notes. And, um, and last night I felt as if the Lord was saying, yeah, you're not going to use those. Um, so I, I I will tell you that when I walked up here there there was that bit of weakness feel I mentioned it to one of our brothers we prayed before 
the service started, but I, I want you to know that this is not just something that's being said. This is my heart's desire in me, in us. And I know what it has the potential of producing and doing that has value for God's kingdom. And so I'm going to pray for all of you this week that you would be weakened. And that's not an evil prayer. And that you would find contentment in that weakness so that you depend on him. So in that, I love you. 